Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova-Said. I'm a host of New Books in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm delighted to speak with Ostap Ken, an editor and one of the translators of Babun Yar, Ukrainian Poets Respond, published by Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute in 2023. Ostap Ken is a translator and editor of the anthology New York Allergies, which won the American Association for Ukrainian Studies Prize for Best Translation, and is the co-translator of Sergei Jadan's A New Orthography and of Yuri Andrukovich's Songs for a Dead Rustem. Hello, Ostap, and thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, hello, Natalia, and thank you very much for having me. So, could we start with some history. The preface contextualizes the selection of poems in terms of history, culture, and memory. Uh, what background were you seeking to provide and amplify? Uh, so I will probably start off by uh, telling a little bit how it all um, happened. Uh, several years ago, I uh, embarked on a new project, and that project was uh, the following. I was and still am um, putting together, editing and compiling an anthology of Ukrainian Jewish poets. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a very long time and I was thinking how all kinds of Jewish themes are being uh, depicted, portrayed, discussed in uh, poetry by Ukrainian Jewish poets written in the Ukrainian language and as i was um as i was uh, compiling um poems i uh, realized that one of the key one of the central um topics is the uh, topic of the holocaust uh, many poets throughout many decades uh, wrote about this and um no matter when it was, uh, no matter when he, they were writing their poems, it still seemed like they tried to look for uh, a language or rather languages how they can deal with that traumatic past. And of course, within that theme, the theme of the Holocaust, one of the most uh, significant was was the topic of Babanyar. So uh, at some point, I realized that actually there are so many poems that it might be worth trying and uh, coming up with a collection dedicated e- exclusively to the depiction of Baban uh, Yar tragedy. But I also wanted to include not only Ukrainian Jewish poets, but also Ukrainian poets, those uh, who even though they had no uh, Jewish origin, still wrestled with the past, with uh, with that uh, page of Ukrainian history, with that page of um, the history of the city of Kiev, and um, how uh, they try to kind of um, understand and and um, portray uh, the past. Just the uh, brief uh, history note. Um, uh, unfortunately, 
uh, in the West, the tragedy of Baban Yar is not always mentioned uh, when uh, we talk about the Holocaust and the Baban Yar massacre is also known as the Holocaust by bullets. Uh, it took place in 1941, um, just within within a day and a half, more than 30,000 uh, Jewish um, population of Kiev uh, was executed uh, and um, they were driven to the Redin um, by this uh, guise of just providing their passports in order to be registered and they didn't have any idea that uh, they will be uh, executed. And um, as you pointed out, um, the poets were responding to this uh, massacre over the years, although in a different way. And I was wondering how you structured the entire collection, because there are some similarities in terms of how poets were uh, probably looking for that language, as, as you put it, to talk about the uh, tragedy and to articulate that trauma but there are also some divergences as well in terms of how um of how we find the right words right in order to really um deliver that kind of pain that kind of wound i would say collective wound so uh, in other words um in what kind of strategy right did you prioritize to um to construct the collection i decided that um Probably uh, the yeah, uh, probably the most known uh, poem about Bab and Yar is uh, called "The uh, Ravine" or "Yar" by Mikola Bajan. Mm -hmm. It was written in 1943, more or less um, right after uh, Kiev was uh, freed by the Red Army and um, a group of Ukrainian um, writers probably including Mikola Bajan, were able to enter the city and actually um, uh, explore what has happened to the city during the um, uh, the past uh, two years when the city was under the German occupation. But uh, actually, as it turned out, that Baben Yar uh, was, uh, on, um, was something that poets were already thinking prior to that mm -hmm. and um, one of the most uh, fascinating moments was when I was able to discover that um, there were um, rallies uh, to um, uh, to raise uh, funds uh, to support the Soviet um, army and actually writers participated actively in that uh, in that rally and there were uh, several Ukrainian poets who wrote uh, poems, um, uh, and those poets were Paolo Tetrina, uh, Maxim Rilsky, and Volodymyr Susura, so the key Ukrainian Soviet modernist poets. And they, uh, their poems were all about uh, Jewish themes, and in my opinion, I think that it is it was very much influenced, impacted, by what they already knew about the Holocaust, uh, whether in the Soviet Union or in Eastern Europe in general. And it is very, it is very, very clear, for example, in a poem by Pavlo Tichina. But even prior to that, I was able to locate one poem by um, uh, Yakiv Halperin, uh, who was uh, 
um, a young man, uh, a native of, of Kiev, um, who uh, wasn't able to um, leave uh, the city and who um, perished um, during the war there. But uh, his poem, quite surprisingly, was even published in one of the um, um, literary journals, of course, under this pseudonym. And it seems to me that um, as a poem written in the fall of 1941, it, it of course couldn't mention, uh, couldn't have any direct references to Babanyar, but it seems to me that it is clearly influenced by what he experienced um, in the city, by his experiences of life uh, in the city of that time. Okay. Other than that, I also, um, so that was like my beginning. But another important moment is, of course, when um, the city is um, kind of uh, again under the control of the Red Army, and this is the, uh, the late 1943, and uh, for a few years, for a few years, sometime until 1946, it's still possible to write uh, about, uh, about uh, the war experiences with... Um, including Jewish themes, because I, right after 1946, it became uh, like it wasn't it wasn't. You were not able to publish anything. And there is a huge gap from approximately 1946 and all the way till mid early 60s, when again, poets slowly are trying to wrestle with that past um who uh they kind of um and they are trying to bridge uh the period they are living in with the period of the past so 60s the 70s uh of course this is like the pages of soviet century and there are certain rules um poets uh have to use in order to be able to write of course they do not uh mention directly right but it's clear that this is about uh, jewish uh, tragedy and also uh, e at the same time we have uh, something else completely something else going on in immigration where uh, poets uh, are not subject to um, censorship or self-censorship and um some truly fascinating examples are poems by, for example, Marta Tarnowski or Ivor uh, Kaczurowski. Um, they, uh, and this is again uh, interesting how, how um, uh, they look um, at the tragedy because they look at it through a very personal lens rather than those Ukrainian Soviet poets who were not in Ukraine at that time. Most of them, of course, like some of them were, but as as young or very young uh, people, children, right? So this is a different kind of of an experience. And then, of course, there is um, the uh, the um, um, period which we can call uh, late perestroika period. Uh, uh, early um, 1990s after the fall of the Soviet Union when we 
deal with a totally new um, uh, realia, uh, re reality where you no longer have uh, these um, these restrictions, right? And uh, you have you can trace how words and in what ways they are approaching um, the topic. Uh, and one of the culmination, in my opinion, is, of course, Mariana Kijanowska's book, The Voices of Baban Yar, um, in which she creates a new language, or one of the languages, how we can talk about it. And, um, and it's interesting also because um, her book is or becomes an inspiration for another um, uh, for another uh, number of, of poems about the Babylon tragedy. So you mentioned that this um, massacre wasn't present in the public space after 1946, mm -hmm. and in general, the um, um, Soviet historiography considerably right shaped how the massacre was presented. So would you share your thoughts on why that massacre was not present in the public space and was delivered in some sort of a um, framework that would work for the Soviet historiography if it was mentioned? Yeah, I think that um, it might be worth saying that Probably the mass murder of Jews actually was not uh, was not de denied in the, in Soviet representations mm -hmm. of the war, and there were all kinds of projects, monuments, films, artworks uh, that were created. But uh, the idea is or was that uh, the official accounts did not wanted to be affiliated or known as exclusively the Jewish catastrophe. Mm -hmm. It should have been labeled, according to the uh, authorities, as the tragedy of all mm -hmm. Soviet uh, citizens. And um, that was quite, quite, quite um, some, some core of this Soviet ideology when to some extent it's okay to say, but on the other hand, you know, you cannot. Mm -hmm. And and this is another, I think, um, layer aspect, um, important question um, that despite that, uh, poets um, nevertheless try to to write because poetry is a is a very reactive uh, form of art uh, comparing to the prose which is you know a very long run mm -hmm. and um the ways um uh the ways um yeah i think let's, let's stop it and um you described this uh, collection as a way to find and present multiple languages of how um, the uh, Bob and Yar massacre can be talked about and presented. So maybe you have some specific poems that you would like to share today and maybe comment on those languages that these poems 
author. Sure. But before we go into reading some of the poems, I just I wanted to mention, if we, uh, if I can, uh, a few things. So when I'm uh, speaking about um, uh, when I mention languages, I mean uh, first of all, most, uh, the poetic languages, not languages as such, because uh, one of the ideas of this anthology was to actually come up with a Ukrainian language anthology of poetry about. Uh, Babanyar tragedy, because in the past, indeed, there were uh, other similar projects um, um, uh, published, but usually they would uh, consist of poetry written in Russian, poetry written in Ukrainian, and or uh, mostly Russian translations of uh, Yiddish poetry. So it was kind of like a, a triangular, a, a, a way of, um, which is, was also, I think, a great idea to see how different literary traditions, canons um, approach it. But there was no a single, uh, no, no individual volume dedicated exclusively to Ukrainian poetry. And it was like a challenge for me to see if we really, can we really have a volume like, like, like that? And also, uh, another thing that kind of sparkled um, or motivated me uh, to, um, to look um, in terms of a language is that uh, there is a, a number of um, English language um, anthologies uh, dedicated to the Holocaust writing in general. In po to poetry, prose, um, eyewitness accounts, um, some documents. And in most cases, uh, literature composed in Ukrainian is not included there. And it was another challenge for me and something I was um, something that was on my mind to see how actually if we have this volume now in English, we are able to compare how it what are the differences and similarities for example between the depiction of the holocaust in russian or the depiction of the holocaust in polish or in czech or in any other um eastern european um uh, languages and uh but yes let's talk about uh, some of the um poems and um, we can we can work. We can start with a poem by um, Leonid Cherevatenko, um, a Ukrainian poet, screenwriter, literary critic. Um, he of during his lifetime he published several collections of poetry. He also wrote screenplays um, for uh, documentary films, uh, edited several other volumes, and translated poetry. And this is, uh, this is a poem from 1966. And it's written, it's interesting because, yeah, it's dated 1966, and it's also written Babanya meaning the place where it was probably composed. And if I'm not mistaken, this is actually the only poem in the book that was actually finished and written there. It's called Michelangelo. 
here's an amateur photo from the archives of fascism. Through a rotten ravine flows a slow river of pallid intertwined bodies. A hateful scene from Michelangelo. Naked women. Naked children. Naked disabled. And old men. They all are shot in the neck. And among them, men. Like boulders in the middle of the field. Their naked, gnarled hands among the disabled and children. They bury and can't bury. Men totally naked who were also shot in the neck. A hateful scene from Michelangelo. So I, this was uh, co-translated with uh, John uh, Hennessy. Um, what is uh, interesting about uh, this poem is that it is mid-60s and the times are slightly different than where in the 50s you were able to write uh, something differently. And what Cherevatenko and, for example, also Ivan Drach, who is in the collection too, uh, what he is trying to do here, this is an example of bridging the 1960s, the second uh, period of Ukrainian Soviet modernism. He is trying to link it with the, with the first wave of Ukrainian Soviet uh, modernism from the 1920s and 1930s, a period that was interrupted because of the uh, Stalinist uh, purges in the late 70s. And here, you know, uh, nothing is... Uh, it's this is an interesting poem in terms how it's how it's um, structured. It has no uh, punctuation marks except for one column. It has no commas or um, um, periods. Um, it has no um, uppercase letters, and this is uh, also a way that you do not know necessarily what it can be about unless you know that it was written in Babanyak. So this is like a coded language uh, which without those uh, tiny um, components you are uh, unable uh, to uh, deci decide. Should I read one more? This one will be by uh, Mariana Kianowska from the collection The Voices of uh, Bob Gunn, a, a, a collection that um, uh, was uh, very well received. Uh, and, uh, 
by critics. And uh, this is a way, uh, a totally different way of looking at the tragedy. Um, what she is trying to do is to look, as actually many other poems, poets in this collection, right into the abyss, into this unknownness, a tragic, horrible unknownness, but using uh, other elements, names, um, features that uh, transmit a totally different, not a totally different, but transmit this message differently, openly. Mm -hmm. And here how it goes. Mm -hmm. Here is a ravine where Hans does his shooting. Here are the shells of bullets that are hitting us. Here are traces of a machine gun and footprints. Hans got tired and went silent. It is impossible that everyone Someone might have gotten up. Someone might have run. But Kuno is spitting out another round. And laughter. Here is Fritz near Rivka. Some three wounds. But here is an engagement ring. Earrings. Everything is too small. Here is her golden face, all her life. Here is her big belly and a baby in her womb. Rivka hears everything, even the heartbeat. Ritz shoots her in the belly and says, Garbage. Here is Albert, brother of the murdered Yona, a Jew. Here are two splinters from the door under his fingernails. Here is a red scar on his pale face. Sarah wails. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. He clung to the doorpost, grabbed onto the house. He wanted to leave and die there. But here he is, in the ravine, and his relatives are with him. He is a torn, here is a torn sleeve, actually a bit of the sleeve. Here is blood-stained soil and grass. Here are bodies and bodies and bodies and bodies. Here is young Miriam, who was happy. Here she is, being embraced by poor, small, dead Celia, who warms her up with warmth, without warmth. Here is a thick and pink mist above the ravine. What um, is so different 
is that uh, you uh, have um, so a way Kianowska is trying to engage her readers directly with protagonists uh, who are um, part of that scene and these are both those who execute um, they all have names well at least we we uh, we have several names in the poem and we also have uh, those who were murdered and we also have their names and this is another um, way of how you can engage and highlight and emphasize uh, something that was not necessarily practiced, for example, in the poetry written during the Soviet decades. Well, uh, this uh, imagery is very powerful as uh, the um, uh, image of bodies, in fact, travels from, I would say, decade to decade and it's probably one of the images that actually repeats although some um attitudes right or tones that uh, run through the poems could be different but uh, in addition to uh, just complete a uh, brutal um barbaric destruction of um human beings there is also the sense of some moral destruction because in addition to um shootings and killings uh, there is also an act of looting. So, and to me, that even amplifies that kind of um, baseness of the acts that were uh, committed uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, there is even an intention to somehow create a verbal context for what is being performed, as you um, um, read this poem by um, Ekianovska, the shooting a baby in the belly of the woman and saying garbage so it it even amplifies the kind of um destruction destructive force that is being um brought um to to to, to the history of humankind in general so uh and uh, i was wondering uh i was wondering if there is any sense of responsibility for those acts because sometimes I read these po poems as uh, witnessing the atrocities, although there can be some um, a time distance. And there is some documentation, documenting, right? These poems document what happened. But uh, I'm wondering if there is any kind of um, gesture to provide answers and to give some uh, ways to process those absolutely um, horrific atrocities in these poems? You know, poetry probably um, won't, um, you know, prevent anything, mm -hmm. stop anything, but poetry is that medium that mm, I think might um, change or help something to change inside people so they react that you know you read a poem something clicks and you immediately approach this differently it gives you a different 
feeling. It gives you a different idea. It gives you a different setting. It gives you a different um, understanding. And this is why, you know, the way how poetry works. So, um, and I think that many of the poems inside uh, included in this book they kind of the idea is that they in a different way are trying to say and uh, impact a reader through completely coded language mm -hmm. or more uh, open language more openly um and uh, raise awareness uh, to um, what um, happened uh, in Kyiv in 1941. Yeah, and you mentioned that uh, Mariana Kianovska's um, book, uh, The Voices of uh, Bob and Yar, um, triggered some sort of inspiration, right, for um, other works. So would you briefly talk about uh, the current discussion, the current conversation around the Babanyar massacre um, in Ukraine and beyond. So, actually, I have uh, one uh, poem uh, in the anthology uh, written by um, Valeria Boloslavska, um, a poet. Uh, but she is also a very known uh, translator from Yiddish, uh, who compiled several very important anthologies of Yiddish language poetry. And actually, um, chronologically, her poem uh, goes uh, uh, right after um, Mariana's, and uh, I will read this one just to, uh, in a way, to uh, reply to your questions, what happens in Ukrainian poetry uh, about uh, Babanyar now? Um, it's called for Mariana Kianovska in response to her book, The Voices of Babanyar. Mouth stuffed with bloody clay, our thirsty words broke through. I must. From the comet's sleepy orbit, a voice rapped on the poet's soul. Through Babanyar, through the Kurenil villages, she made her way as though coming home, as if she clenched her soul in her fist, and as if she, she'd come to say, speak for me, guess my decimated name, not all, if you can embody me. And now we've become, sorry, and now you've become Miriam, not Marianne. You carry your aging, deadly void to Babanyar, to the place of execution, to all those guardian and sister you've become. 
I think that uh, what we are going to see uh, in the future is um, that uh, the topic will be more and more uh, discussed and um, um, and I'm sure that it will be done in 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 new ways, in different ways, and um, because uh, it's also a very kind of important, significant um, urban tragedy, and one of the many themes in this book is also how the city of Kiev deals with this how the city's uh, topography, um, other geographical locations are structured and what is their relationship to the city. And in my, uh, somewhere in my introduction, I, I mentioned um, um, fragments from uh, the diary by Alexander Dovzhenko. He also one of, one of, was one of the first writers who um, who um, entered Kiev um, when it was freed, and he was shocked by what he saw. And it seems to me that for many many Ukrainian Soviet writers were in Kyiv, especially who were in Kyiv before the war and who returned after the war, it was an exceptional dilemma and 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 challenge how to live in the city that went through uh, such events. Uh, we should not forget that I think in 1839, on the eve of the war, almost 26. 25-26% of the city's population was uh, uh, Jewish. And um, that changed a lot after the war. And at the same time, what I also uh, wanted to uh, mention is uh, how, for example, um, you know, we are thinking about what, what uh, the future poetry about Bab and Yar might be, but uh, there are things uh, that there are works uh, written all the way all the way in the past who um, deserve some closer examination. For example, uh, a novel by Dokia Umenna, Khrushchate uh, Yar, um, which was published in uh, mid uh, 1950s in the in the United States is a um, striking example of how one can write about the Holocaust when you are not living in Soviet uh, Soviet country. And her example is also um, special because she uh, kept a diary during the war. And her novel is uh, based um, is based uh, on that on that uh, uh, on that uh, diary, so you know there is there are uh, some other important uh, texts in in the past that that deserve uh, uh, to be re-examined. We have to return to them and um, and and to talk about. Mm -hmm. So, and at the beginning of the conversation, you mentioned that uh, 
uh, some poems were written by um, by poets who were in Ukraine, and some poems were written by those who immigrated. And the um, volume itself is compiled by you outside Ukraine, correct? So do you think that it would have been different if you were compiling this collection while being in Ukraine? Um, I, it seems to me I was able to, I mean, I try to, uh, uh, to locate everything I was aware of, although you are not always able to find everything. And for example, uh, I mentioned this in annotations. There are two poems um, which uh, I uh, I read about, but I couldn't find, and they deserve a, a footnote. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them is a poem by um, Sava Volovanivsky, and uh, we don't know when it was written and when it was published but we know that um, it is most likely called Avraham, Abraham, and we know about it because of the following. Um, in the late 40s there were some really uh, outrageous and, and terrible um, anti-Semitic um, uh, uh, state-orchestrated uh, campaigns, um, and Sava Volonievsky was one of the, one of those who suffered from them. And, uh, publicly he was criticized for writing this poem called Avraham, Abraham, in which he depicted that a Jew was, um, was, um, was uh, on the way to uh, Babanyar, but a Ukrainian and a Russian were basically bystanders, mm -hmm. were those citizens who uh, stood by the road and didn't do anything. So I did a lot of work, a lot of research. This is mentioned um, in several scholarly works, but no one actually uh, quotes from the poem. So the the very first time when the poem was mentioned, I think it was in uh, sometime uh, in 1949. And I'm really curious, uh, and I, you know, this is one of the poems which I was not unfortunately able to find, but um, maybe if I were based in Ukraine and I would have access to um, special collections and archives, newspapers published, you know, in 1945, 44, 46, maybe I would have been able to find. And the same is with a poem by Volodymyr Susura, who also, he went to the 1946 trials and um, he wrote a poem um, based on his experiences of being in, in a courtroom, but I was able to find 
only several stanzas quoted in in newspapers and again i was unfortunately i was not able to locate the whole poem and this is another actually um interesting uh, question of um how these poems and were, were published during the soviet times and or not published actually often you know they would have appear somewhere especially those po poems in the written in the 40s and they would not be republished throughout the the poet's uh, life only after you know uh, the poet was dead um, and his whole works collected works were put together and then it would have been uh, included right and it was already 80s so and uh, this is another way to kind of archaeological uh, exploration of the landscape where you are trying to um, excavate those poems and to um, bring them back uh, to the uh, uh, bring them back so we can you know continue this dialogue because um, it is also a way to think about how this uh, language was being um, put together because it's really hard you know uh, literature is uh, new literary works are often based on previous literary works but when they are unavailable there is a gap you know, and there are way too many gaps when we are talking about the depiction of the Holocaust in Ukrainian literature, even though we have works, both poetry and prose. You know, it, but due to some reasons, they are unavailable. So, and it's really hard to, um, you know, to especially deal with the uh, with a tragedy as huge uh, as as Bab and Yar when you don't have this previous. When do you you don't see these previous examples of how it was dealt with in the past? Yeah. And th this is one one of the ways. Yeah, yeah. And um, this is my my idea is that to some extent why my Mariana Kianowska's book is so powerful is that so she kind kind of come up with a totally new language of dealing with the past, and it was so powerful that it captures so much and it. And it spoke so clearly um, about uh, what was uh, what what happened in the past, um, and it seems like that her um, her work is done in a way that the previous traditions were not necessarily taken into account. And this is so fascinating that like seventy years. Of writing about Bab and Yar, but not taking into account, not necessarily taking into account, but still, you come up with the language. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you, thank you so much, uh, Ostap, and um, um, thank you for compiling this collection that really provides a background for a very complex texture of the uh, Bab and Yar uh, massacre. And I do hope this book uh, will be included in reading lists of many courses because you can really approach this collection from different angles. There is some history there. Uh, there is, of course, some value of uh, um, 
culture studies and memory studies and trauma studies and of course uh, literary studies as well and it can be part of Ukrainian literature course or any other literature that somehow focuses on uh, atrocities, crimes against humanity. So thank you so much for bringing this um, uh, outstanding uh, work uh, to Anglophone readers. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for your kind words and thanks again for having me. Today I spoke with Ostap Kin, or one of the translators and an editor of Babin Yar, Ukrainian Poets Respond, published by Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute in 2023. Thank you for listening to New Books Network in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network.